Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Hello, Encounter Church. It is so great to see you, which is what I would say if I could see you. But of course, I can't. I am here on video, our first ever church online. And we are so excited for what God's going to do through this. A big hello to everybody watching in your life groups, watching at home online and across the globe. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Encounter Church. But if I'm really honest, friends, I kind of hate that we're doing this. Like I'm excited about church online, but I hate that we're not gathered together because I love gathering together on Sunday as the body of Christ. It's the highlight of my week. Yet to be able to do it this way, it's a gift in the time of COVID-19, isn't it? So we want to praise God for what he's doing because he is no less present where you are than where I am. In fact, it's not even about where two or three are gathered. Did you know that? Where one is gathered, where you are, the presence of God is right now. So I'm just going to pray and then we are going to get into the word of God tonight. Lord God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be able to minister to one another like this, to be able to hear and receive the word of God, to be able to do community in a different form. And we know that even just to be able to speak of you one to another is a privilege, Lord. And we just pray that tonight as I preach, this word will fall in the way it needs to fall and be heard in the way it needs to be heard. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are joining us online and it's the first time you've been to Encounter Church, welcome. It's so great to have you. You have caught us in the middle of a a series called Faith for Exiles. We're in week four of Faith for Exiles. And it's a series about what it means to create and develop resilient disciples, followers of Jesus who last a lifetime in a space that we're calling Digital Babylon. And it's crafted from a book called Faith for Exiles by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock, a couple of researchers from the Barna Group in the US. And they took a whole bunch of research from thousands and thousands of young adults from across the globe to come up with these five traits of what it means to be a resilient disciple. And tonight we're looking at trait four. If you want one through three, jump on the podcasts and have a listen to those. You'll, you'll love those. But tonight we are talking about vocation. We are talking about faith at work. Now that covers a lot of ground. So let me tell you what we're not talking about tonight. We are not talking about how to discover your calling. That's important. That's not what we're talking about. And we're not even really talking about a theology of work. We are going to touch on that a little bit. What I really want to talk most about is ambition, godly ambition, and how instead of it working against us, we can make it work for us when we put it in the right place. And what I want to suggest to you is this, that Jesus wants for you in your workplace to be the ultimate two I see. All right, the ultimate two I see. So just as we get into it, and you're going to have to forgive me if I have to reach across and scroll my notes a little bit. As we get into this, I want to tell a little little story because I grew up 
like all narcissistic only children, uh, wanting jobs that would suit me really, really well. So the first job I can remember wanting was a toy shop owner. I wanted to own a toy shop so I could play with all the toys. Makes sense. Then I wanted to be a bookshop owner. And look, I basically am at this point, right? But I wanted to be a bookshop owner because I wanted to read all the books. Because again, I was an only child and only and lonely rhyme for a reason. And then I got a little bit older and I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. If a toy store owner plays with toys and a bookstore owner plays with books, I guess a lawyer plays with people's lives. But that I'm, ki- I'm kidding, lawyers. I'm kidding. Don't, don't see me. I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to make lots of money. Obviously, I was a highly ethical, motivated, not at all narcissistic young guy. But then I got to about eight or nine years old and I started playing basketball and I fell in love with the game. I still am in love with the game. And I started picking up a ball in my hands and playing and I found it was actually all right. Like I wasn't terrible at this and I enjoyed it. And I got out in courts and I would play by myself for hours and I'd play with my friends at school. And then there was this guy called Michael Jordan who was really taking the league by storm and taking the world by storm. And so he's ascending as an MVP in the NBA. I'm ascending really probably similar career trajectory to Michael Jordan as a nine-year-old on the mean streets of Tea Tree Gully. And I was at least, I don't know, top 17 in my primary school. And I figured that would sort of translate to a 20-year, multi-million dollar NBA career. Fast forward a couple of years, though, and I hit about 12 years old, and I'm suddenly come face-to-face with an interesting reality. I'm short. Now, obviously, if you see me on video, you think, wow, Mike, you actually seem really tall and strong and muscular and handsome. And I get that. Cameras do wonderful things. But... In reality, I'm not all that tall. And when I was a kid, I was even shorter. So now I'm kind of slightly below average height. When I was a kid, I was like, oh, is that a doll you're carrying, miss? You know, to my mother, that kind of height. And so as I, as my peers are growing up around me and I'm not really growing up with them, I started to ask, can I really play professional basketball if I'm not tall enough? And so my dad took me to a doctor who measured my hands to tell me how tall I could be, I would be when I grew up. And he told me that correctly that I'd be about this tall and I was crushed. Now, when you added that to a growing sense of self-awareness that maybe my trajectory as a player wasn't quite as multiple MVP winning as I thought it was, suddenly that brought all my ambition down to earth. And I don't know if you've ever had a dream crushed like that, but it, it can be pretty heartbreaking, even if it's not something very realistic. But that's what happens when you pull your dreams towards your vocation. And for my generation, the millennial generation, and the generation after us, the Gen Zs, we are known as generations that desire purpose in work, aren't we? Like you and I, if you're under the age of 40, you want to do something meaningful. And you've heard all the stories that millennials go into the workforce and they, they want to be uh, doing something with purpose. They're more likely to leave a high-paying job in order to go to a low-paying job if, they, if it's something that they love and gives them meaning. I'm literally living proof of this. This is what we do as millennials. However, in all honesty, the stats don't quite bear this out. In fact, what statistics show is that millennials actually have a little bit less purpose to their lives than older generations do in terms of the workplace. Now, I'm not trying to suggest that millennials desire purpose less, but I think there's something to do with age, that as you get older, you crave meaning in your work even more. 
Maybe because you've got financial security a bit more. Whereas for those of us who are younger, we're still trying to find that. But the stats show, and they bear out a couple of really interesting things, that the two main ambitions of millennials in the workforce are better pay and a higher level of promotion. Not exactly the deep sense of meaning and purpose and, you know, true inner bearing that I think we were hoping to see. Only third after that comes changing a job for meaning. What do we do when who we think we are doesn't align with who we actually are? Well, what's interesting about this is perhaps we are not so different after all from our predecessors. And you know, this has strengths and weaknesses because on the plus side, it means we can actually be quite practical about jobs. Uh, If you're totally impractical about jobs and you refuse to look for a job that doesn't suit you, uh, let me just give you a quick time out and aside here. If you're a teenager and you are only going to high-end retail stores and demanding that they hire you, just, just stop it. Just get over yourself a little bit. Go and work at McDonald's. Seriously, you're going to learn about hard work. You're going to learn about discipline. You're going to learn about customer service. And it will serve you really well on your resume when you go into that next job. And you will go into a next job. But start small. Don't be afraid to start small and work hard. All right, so that's just my little high horse for a minute there. I reckon we'll have less of those on camera, I promise. The thing is, we can be practical about jobs as millennials. We can just say, I need a job, I will take a job. That's one of the good things about saying you're doing it for money or for promotion. Of course, the dark side of this means that we're not as purpose-driven as we thought. And even though we are definitely a generation who asks for meaning, it's not the deciding factor, and that can be jarring for us. So the danger in all of this, the danger in looking for finance or looking for greater promotion is this. It begins to make our work and our search for work and our jobs and our vocations define us rather than working for us. In fact, it means we're much more like our parents than we realize, which is a slightly disconcerting feeling for all of us. The danger is we make idols out of our financial goals instead of making them work for us. So tonight, what we're going to do is we are going to dig into Genesis chapter 39. So if you've got your Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to explore the story of Joseph, and specifically Joseph in Potiphar's house. Now, if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, Joseph's story is one of ego. It's one of ambition. It's one of fear and power and anger and revenge and the supernatural. It's one that stretches across nations. It's a story of dreamer versus empire and of the nature of power. It is a cracker. And in all of this, it begins with Joseph. Joseph, the favored son of the powerful patriarch Jacob. Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, is known as one of the patriarchs of Israel. He, had, he later names his, his, himself Israel, and he has these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Joseph was the favorite out of all those sons, and it's very clear to the other sons he is the favorite, and that's a tough beat for the other sons. And Joseph then has these dreams in which he's given extraordinary power, power over his brothers, power over his parents, uh, power over nations, all very well and good. But then he tells them, which is a bad look. You can have visions and dreams that are bigger than other people. Maybe don't tell them they're going to work for you someday. It's not a great look. 
you know, you're going to pump, be pumping gas for me someday. It's not, it's not a great line to use on people. Being the favorite younger son with 11 older brothers doesn't help you particularly when you tell them these things. And so trouble was always brewing for Joseph. And one day Joseph went out ostensibly to spy on his older brothers and they saw him coming and they threw him in a pit and sold him to slavery, which is a heck of a jerk move, even for older brothers. But what I want you to get out of this in this moment is this. Joseph had dreams that he knew were given to him by God and he was thrown into slavery. Have you ever been in a space where you've been chasing a dream and you felt stopped at every turn? That's what Joseph was, literally sold into slavery. He ends up working for the man. Our journey towards purposeful work does not go as smoothly as we want it to, but it does go forward. Let's jump into the 39 now and hear about Joseph in Potiphar's house. So Joseph, after being sold by his brothers, finds himself in the service of a man called Potiphar, who is an officer in Pharaoh's army. And he begins to find success, success not in terms of status, he is still a slave, but in terms of his achievements. What he do comes to notice. See, he makes Potiphar's house better to the point that in verse 3, we see that his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful. See, Joseph's success was noticed by his boss and credited to God. Noticed by his boss and credited to God. Just catch that. A God Potiphar did not believe in. God is breaking into Potiphar's life through the success and hard work and faithfulness of Joseph. Something was happening to draw his attention to Joseph. And what the text tells us is this, that as Potiphar notices this and gives Joseph a position of authority, God blesses the Egyptian's house, Potiphar's house, because of Joseph. Did you know that one of the calls of you in your workplace is to see your workplace blessed because of your faithfulness to God? It's that simple, friends. It doesn't matter where you are working right now by being a good employee, by working hard and being faithful to God, your entire workplace can be blessed. This is a foretaste of what we call the kingdom of God. Let me get back into it. So Potiphar makes Joseph the second most powerful person in his household after himself. And later Pharaoh would do the same thing and will make Joseph effectively the prime minister of Egypt. He will make him the second most powerful person in Egypt. There's a theme in Joseph's life here. And the Bible tells us that Potiphar left everything under his authority except his wife. Which, by the way, wise call, but it didn't go so well for Joseph. This is where Joseph's story takes yet another turn. The favoured son becomes a slave. He rises to power and then he meets temptation. There is a roller coaster here. His dream job is not just waiting in front of him. So Potiphar's wife left alone in the house with the servants while her husband is away with Pharaoh, presumably with the Egyptian army, begins to get lonely and seduces Joseph. And not just once, day after day after day, she's throwing herself in front of the handsome Hebrew man and saying, sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. And and the Bible gives him this narrative where he is stuck between a rock and a hard place. Does he give into his temptations and her demands? Or does he stay faithful to his employer? Because either way, something can go wrong here. I want you to see that. 
There might be a clear moral choice to you and I reading this years later, but in the moment there is no easy choice. A moral choice and an easy choice are not the same thing. A godly choice is not the same as an easy choice. So this is what happens. Joseph chooses to stay faithful to Potiphar. I cannot imagine how difficult this was for him. How hard the pressure was for this young Hebrew exile. And he suffers for it. Because as he rejects Potiphar's wife, in her anger, she falsely accuses him of rape. And tells her husband who has him thrown in the royal prison. See, this faithful man who has been made a slave and then has done nothing but work hard and hard and hard for his employer is unjustly punished. And this is what New Testament theologian Derek Kidner says. He puts it this way, that Joseph's flight saved his honor at the cost of his prospects. Saved his honor at the cost of his prospects. Joseph looked at the dreams God had given him. He looked at the temptations in front of him. He looked at the power in his hand. The temptation to just force those three things together must have been huge. And he rejected that. And he chose a path of integrity. See, I think, friends, the difference between Joseph and others is that when temptation came calling, Joseph had a deeper call than just the job he was in. His call was of faithfulness to God. See, He treats his job as a sacred calling, but not as his personal calling. He treats God as his personal calling. And if our greatest sense of call is to our job, then we'll do whatever we can to keep it, regardless of the moral cost. And if our greatest sense of call is to ourselves, then we'll do whatever it takes to make us satisfied, whatever the moral cost. But if, friends, your greatest sense of call and my greatest sense of call is not to our job, is not to ourselves, but is to Jesus Christ, then we will do whatever it takes to follow him, regardless of the personal cost. The cost is still there, but the one who bears it is us. And when we take that on, we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. See, Joseph was an incredible witness in his workplace because it was never really about his work. It was never about that. It was about faithfulness to God. And if you want to stand out in your workplace, stop making it about your workplace. Don't make it about whether you're in the right place or whether your calling is good or whether you like who you work with. You'll always work with people you don't like. I mean, obviously not me. I co-pastor with my wife. It's a delight every day. She's filming this right now. I'm trapped in a room with her. It's fine. It's all going to end fine. If I make hand gestures for help, you know, but it'll be fine. But you will, friends, work with somebody you don't like. And if all your strength is in that, If your sense of identity and purpose is tied up in the people you work with, you're going to have a terrible working life because you're going to be lost. You may have heard about something called the sacred secular divide. That's this idea that some things in life are holy and some are not. For example, going to church might be holy. Reading your Bible might be holy. Uh, Maybe praying together is holy. Maybe visiting someone in need is holy. But, you know, um, going shopping is not holy. That's secular. Or maybe watching a movie is secular or something like that. Can I tell you there's no such thing as a sacred secular divide? All of creation is sacred to God. Now, I think there's a sacred sacrilegious divide. That is, there are things that are evil and against the will of God. But it is nowhere near as simple as saying, this is Christian and that's not Christian. Christian is you. 
It is who you are and what you do. It is not something we get to just put on and put off like a nine to five thing during the week or like a four to six thing on Sundays right now, friends. God is calling you to follow him as your vocation. That's what it is. And so your entire lives are offerings to God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within you, which means the integrity you have in your day-to-day work life is so important. So important. Now, the story of Joseph reminds us that our workplace ethics matter. They matter. People notice when you get drunk at the Christmas party. People notice when you talk about your taxes and you talk about writing stuff off, that's dodgy. People notice when you turn up late for work consistently. People notice when you badmouth your employer to them or badmouth the organization or badmouth other people you work with. People notice when you maximize profit margins at the expense of others, when you push for a promotion at the expense of another employee, when you turn up late, like I said, and when you just do things that advance you and don't advance the kingdom. People notice. There are a thousand tiny ways that we shape our workplaces. And we're meant to shape them by being bringers of salt and light. Bringers, breakers into the kingdom of God. See, our theology of work should remind us that good work is purposeful and it's given to us by God. We got that right back in Genesis chapter 2. And so how are you, like Joseph, living out a good and purposeful, meaningful sense of work wherever you are? Because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where whatever you, where it, ugh, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing, friends. You do it for God's glory. You can feed your cat to God's glory if it is something that you do with meaning and purpose and joy in your heart. You can praise God while you're feeding a cat. How good is that? Now, if you're listening today and you're someone who is yet to call yourself a Christian, let me offer you this piece of advice. Do not let your work define you. Don't let your job or your workplace define you. And I'm sure you're there saying, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't do that. It's just something I do. Yeah, I, I, I work to live, not live to work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. I get it. I've, I've heard all those lines. Can I suggest that maybe you are a bit more defined by your work than you realize? Here's how you can tell. How does your self-esteem go if you lose your job? How do you, how do you start a conversation if you're fired, if you're retrenched? What do you do if you're suddenly out of work? If you're a stay-at-home mother, let me assure you, that is work, that is vocational, that is a real job. So what happens if you are no longer a stay-at-home mother and you don't have a job, but you're stuck at home? How do you get a sense of identity? This is not something any of us can get away from. It's linked with our pride. It's linked with our sense of purpose and meaning. And God does give us work for meaning and does give us work for purpose. But we cannot be allowed to be defined by our work or our workplace or our sense of, of position in it. We can't. If you would call yourself a Christian, though, I have a slightly different challenge for you. Because Christians have a workplace opportunity in the time of coronavirus. Right? Let's, let's not beat around the bush. If you are under 30, this is probably going to be the event that defines your generation. 9-11, it said, defined my generation. If you are younger than 30, it's probably going to be coronavirus. Because it is, it is defining how a group of people understand 
fear. Understand unity. Understand meaning. Understand purpose. We, are, we have seen in the space of a week some of the biggest layoffs in Australia's history, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. So as a Christian, as maybe a casual employee who has been laid off, who has had their work, work hours cut back, how are you able to represent God now? Not when it's all going well. Not when it's all comfortable, but now. And this isn't me trying to throw down at you. You've, many of you have had a hard enough week already. Truly, like a really hard week. And we've been praying for you and with you. And if you need something, if you have a physical need, we want you to reach out to us here at Encounter Church. We want to be able to bless and support you in that. That is what the body of Christ is all about. It doesn't matter where you are across the globe. We want to connect you in with an agency that can support you or support you directly ourselves. But if you would call yourself a Christian, and right now in the age of COVID-19, in a moment of social distancing, which is a horrible phrase, we want physical distance, not social distance. You need to keep wise physical distance, but be socially present, be digitally present. What can you do right now in your workplace and in your pursuit of work and in your understanding of meaning and purpose in life to represent God and be breaking his kingdom in? That's my challenge for us as believers. Can you lose your job, be financially uncertain and socially distant and still have reason to praise God? As I come to a close, I want to remind you of this. Who's the Lord of your life, friends? Who is the Lord of your life? Because the narrative of Joseph's life is he kept getting raised up to be the second in charge. And for all of us in our life, that is what God is calling us to. He's calling you and I not to do a specific job. You might have a call, you might have a gifting, and then it may be that you retire at 65 and go and work as a gardener. It's not about your job. It's not about your position. It's your call to be second in command to Jesus. That Jesus is Lord of your life. And so no matter how high you rise, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how successful you feel, you put your trust, you put your praise, you put your joy in the hands of Jesus Christ. You know, you might have heard the phrase, do a job that you love and you won't work a day in your life. Can I tell you, I work a job that I love and we're exhausted right now. Like It has been a moment in COVID-19, getting all this set up. Like, again, we're actually genuinely thankful to what God is doing in this time, but it's been a lot of work. But we're just looking and reminding ourselves of reasons to praise God. Now, some of it is that we've wanted to do this for a long time, and some of it is we just remind ourselves of God's essential character. He is good. He loves you. He is merciful. He is just. He has created you to live on purpose, for a purpose. You're, you have meaning in your life. It's not just the presence of God. The presence of God gives us a sense of who we are, but then he empowers us to be co-workers on his mission to bring the kingdom of God to Australia. And right now, our country needs the kingdom of God right now. Some of you are watching online and you are just crying out. You're, you're crying out to God. You're crying out to Superman. You're just crying out to someone right now to come in and step in and make a difference because you might be isolated at home with the kids and we are praying for you. If so, if you have three little extroverts like we do, we are praying for you. But you might just be a person, you're feeling sick. You might have parents who are away from you and you're worried to death about them. You can be 
the bringer of peace. You can be the one that brings salt and light. Your first vocation as a, fo- as a follower of Jesus is simply to follow Jesus. We're going to come to a time of prayer now. And in this prayer, I want to pray for anybody who is really struggling with fear and anxiety. You know, in our online chat, you can either start a personal prayer session with our pastors we have there, or you can just put your hand up and say, I'd love some prayer. And we're going to pray for you there. If you are sick, we're going to pray for physical healing. And then I'm going to offer what we call a salvation response. Because everyone in their life, there comes a moment where they look at the great divide and say, am I following Jesus or not? What am I choosing to do with my life? Can I tell you, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, tonight is your night. Wherever you are watching across the globe, tonight is your night. So let's start by praying for those who are suffering with fear and anxiety from this current situation. Lord, we just want to lift up anyone right now who anxiety is plaguing them. There is fear in their heart for what's happening through coronavirus. And God, we particularly want to pray for those who have lost their jobs. Lord, would you help our government to make wise decisions about the economy? Would you help us to be bold and wise at the same time? As you say, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Wise to read the times and innocent to trust people and to believe in you and trust and be obedient to where you're sending us, whether that's to go shopping, whether that's to apply for a job. And Lord, we're believing that if you want us to have a job as we apply and as we pursue it, you're going to open up the doors that need to be opened. And we're going to walk through them. We know that it's not passive, Lord. But you're going to see doors opened in our lives that need to be opened. Father, I pray for blessing. Blessing right now. I just extend my hand in prayer over anyone who is just hungry for a touch of you right now. Because they need physical healing. Lord, for all those that they feel sick and they don't know if it's anxiety or real in Jesus' name, pour out your healing on them. Pour out your healing even now. You are reaching people. Your presence is with people even now in Jesus' name. We pray healing, healing from the coronavirus symptoms in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And finally, God, for those people who say tonight, yes. I want to start following Jesus. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want to have my identity found in Jesus, not in my job or in my workplace or whatever I'm striving to do and be that I can never quite manage to get to. If you say yes, that tonight you want to rest in Jesus, I want to pray for you. And I want to ask that you'd click the button that says, there's a salvation response button. Just click that and then click a button that says, will you pray for me? I'm praying for you right now. Why don't we close our eyes and pray here. God, for those people who they know in their hearts that you're calling them home, right now, in Jesus' name, we proclaim that you are Lord of their life. Father, that their sins are forgiven and that they are being born again in you. Lord, you are creating them new, creating them fresh. Right now, I proclaim forgiveness over those people. As they repent of their sins and say yes to you, Lord Jesus, they make that decision. That's the most exciting decision we can make in our life. That transformational turnaround decision to follow you. A new life begins right now. Bless those people. Let them know your presence so strongly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 
It has been so great to be with you tonight. Just want to encourage you. Maybe you're there in your hub and, and you just need that physical presence of people around you to pray for you. If that's you, ask somebody for prayer. You don't need me to pray for your friends. The power of God is in the people of God and you are gathered with the people of God. But if you are by yourself and you want prayer and you want to talk something through, I'd encourage you. Again, log on to church online, encounteradelaide.online.church. You're on here already, obviously, if you're watching it. And just write a message saying you just want some prayer. You can request prayer, and we would really love to be in contact with you. In the meantime, this week, we're going to be dropping heaps of stuff on our Instagram feed and on our Facebook account because we want to be more socially present with you, even as we're physically distant. We love you, Encounter Church. God bless. Have an incredible week in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.